0: Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries, and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us.
1: Welcome to Scattered. Today, I'm joined by Jill and Mary, and we're looking at two chapters today, chapter 49 and 50 of Genesis. Here, we come to the point where Jacob is nearing the end of his life, and Last week uh, we saw how Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and this week uh, we're going to look at how he goes on to bless his sons. I think we're going to separate 49 and 50 and just start by looking at chapter 49 first. Can one of you give us a summary of what 49 says?
0: basically goes through each of his sons blessing them, would be my summary, and then he dies.
1: perfect (laughs) so yeah let's let's look at um what blessings he gives to his sons when I had a look at the blessings they didn't really seem like blessings what what do you guys think
2: I was reflecting on this because Jacob says to his sons gather around so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come like he himself doesn't seem to call it a blessing at that point does he? He's, it's almost more like a prophecy. I guess it's connected not necessarily to his sons, these prophecies. As we go through, it's also connected to the tribes that will come from these sons. So not just the individuals. Um, but it is interesting, isn't it? Because each prophecy is kind of connected to the character of each brother in a way. So You get Reuben, who is the firstborn, should be, you know, this amazing leader, kind of kingly guy. But then because of uh, how he sinned against his father, it says, doesn't it, in verse four, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. Um, And then Simeon and Levi, similarly, he pronounces these kind of, are they blessings or are they blessings in another light? It really caused me to think about what is a blessing? What does that mean? I think the thing that really struck me was, it's a
0: blessing to be known, isn't it? And Jacob knew each of his sons well, he knew, and some of them, it feels like he focuses on their weaknesses and their sin fights in their life, and on others, he focuses on their strengths and wants to encourage them in those things, but I've been really reflecting this week on, it is always a blessing to be known, isn't it? And it's always a blessing but when people either do either of those things, either help us see our sin more clearly because we can't see it ourselves. We're blind to it so often. And when friends or Paul and I have had some hard chats in the last couple of weeks about my sin, and it, but it's so, actually somebody said to me recently, oh, was that like a dagger in your heart? And I was like, no, it, it really felt like a blessing and like a key helping me to unlock and see my sin more clearly. And I, I just think, yeah that's the place i landed that to be known is a blessing and so whether that's to be known in our sin or to be known in our in the gifts god's given us actually
2: both those things are a blessing aren't they mm. cuz in in this blessing in this kind of as he goes through each of his sons he does take away doesn't he the rights of the elder sons and you see don't don't you when he gets to judah He gets this very long kind of verse 8 to 12. He gets this very long blessing. um, And he especially speaks about the scepter will not depart from Judah and, you know, linking him to this line of kings. And then as you go through the Old Testament, um, lots of what he says you can see happening. And yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That this is Jacob, who, like we said before, has had this very turbulent life and you know has had difficulty and yet he gets to the end of his days and he can see so clearly even though physically his eyes are dimmed he can see so clearly what's going to come um, what a blessing for him in giving this blessing
1: yeah thanks Mary that's been really helpful seeing how Reuben and Simeon and Levi were disqualified from leading Israel or having the line of kings in their tribes. On what basis do you think the tribe of Judah chosen to have the line of kings? Because it's not like he's had a clean slate.
0: Yeah, I was struck actually by the emphasis on this in the first couple of verses about Judah, that he's the child almost, the cub. And that that sort of idea of humility, and actually that knowing that he's just the child, is a a, a, a little picture, isn't it, of Jesus as the son and the child and how the the humility that Jesus came with then led to his exaltation and how that pattern is played out in these verses that he starts off with Judah just as the lion's cub and yet he's the one that the scepter will not depart from. And yeah, like we talked about a little bit last week, that hole in God's kingdom and God's economy, the humble are exalted. I guess that we see that again, don't we, here?
2: Yeah, and I was reflecting on the fact that for Reuben and Simeon and Levi, Jacob gives reasons for why he's taking away their privileges. So with Reuben, he he slept with his stepmother, Bilhah. I mean, we see this in Genesis 35 verse 22 it's mentioned and then you've got Simeon and Levi their anger is mentioned their cruelty you know there's reasons for this whereas I kind of think with Judah it's just a beautiful picture of grace isn't it like we know that Judah also has a a murky past and yet for some reason God has bestowed his grace on Judah. I mean, we have seen, haven't we, in previous chapters, his change of character and the way that he steps up and offers to give his life for the life of Benjamin. So we know that Judah has in some way changed and maybe there isn't that kind of redemption in Simeon and Levi and Reuben. We don't know, but I guess it's just a beautiful picture of the fact that God blesses who he blesses um, and whether that's the fourth or the first or the last son. God's sovereign, isn't he? I find that hard to accept sometimes, but we see it so clearly throughout the Bible.
1: Yeah, that really is a beautiful picture. And I guess as we're coming up to Advent, this is something beautiful to think about as well, of um, God's grace given to all of us who are his enemies and extended no matter you know what our history has been. Just moving on to the next section with lots of blessings for the other sons. What kind of themes did you guys find from um, those blessings?
0: The thing that struck me was all the sort of the blessings that these boys have or their character strengths that are pulled out, they're like, they've been given, haven't they, for the blessing of others. And actually, as Mary said... These individual sons are going to become heads of tribes and they're, you know, they're going to define at some level the nature of that tribe and the way that God uses that tribe for the rest of the history of Israel. And uh, yeah, it just caused me to reflect on when God blesses us or gives us a gift in our character. That's never for us to feel proud about, is it? But it's for the blessing of others and it's to um, yeah, share God's goodness with those around us. And I, yeah, in my life, that's such a helpful way, isn't it? To accept God's gifts without then becoming proud because actually they're not for us. It's not about me. It's not that I'm great at this, but it's a gift that God gives for the blessing of those around us. And I think you see that time and again, don't you, in these all these
1: different little vignettes of different sons. And I guess overall, um, as well as blessing others, like the actual use of God's gift to us gives blessing to God and like how Joseph used his gifts like each time he was um, not proclaiming his own glory, but God's glory. It's incredible how as part of these blessings given to the sons, how it seems almost like an extension of the blessings given to Abraham. Like uh, for quite a few of the sons, Zebulun and Iskar, Jacob says that they'll be given a land, a place, and um for some others he'll be given for asher and Naphtali, they're given provisions and and for joseph fruitfulness and growth and like you said jill it's not just for um themselves not just for their own tribes but bless the world
2: and that includes us doesn't it like i think we're very much meant to look at these blessings and see the way that God kind of does that in our own lives I was challenged yeah like I was saying before as to what is the actual meaning of blessing because it is kind of thrown around a lot in our day isn't it like hashtag blessed you know but what what is a blessing I was thinking through um like literally it means kind of uh God's favor or like a gift of God God's protection this lady called Vanitha Rendell Risner I don't know if you've heard of it but she's had a lot of hardship in her life, including the breakdown of marriage and health, like real health struggles and everything. And she says, what is blessing then? Scripture shows that blessing is anything God gives that makes us fully satisfied in him, anything that draws us closer to Jesus. And that's not necessarily all the good things, isn't it? Like, having lots of food or some of the things we see here having a fruitful vine or being a you know having victory in the things that we do sometimes it is the harder things like yeah a big revelation of our sin and having to tackle that or going through sickness or you know that song by Laura Story that talks about what if blessings come through raindrops it's a challenge isn't it like how do, do we take the good things that God gives and take them as Blessings, but then do we reject the other kind of blessings because we feel that that's not something that he would do? I don't know. And that's been a wrestle mm. through the whole story of Joseph, hasn't it? That God
0: actually mm. is at work, changing us and transforming us, and it doesn't always feel like a blessing. But if it's if it's forming Christ in us, then it is, isn't it?
1: Mm. What did you um make of the interruption that J- Jacob gave? um in verse 18 he says i wait for your salvation o lord it's almost like a outburst of desperation i guess as he was proclaiming these
0: it's a reminder isn't it that he's this these are god's words really and jacob is the or oh, almost the vessel for god to be speaking to the brothers and yeah it's a bit jarring isn't it cuz you're like come on move on to the next one but i just <laughs> i just think it helped me remember that actually it's a very worshipful situation that Jacob's in, isn't he? He's receiving God's word and he's grateful for it. And he's, um, he's still on his deathbed, isn't he? And th- he's still in that position of trusting the Lord for the fact that he's about to die. And so I, I guess mm-hmm. that little exclamation in the middle just helped like orientate me with, okay, we're still on Jacob's deathbed here, aren't we? Because you can almost forget that because he's so into, and God's using him to proclaim such powerful
1: things. Hmm. great should we have a look at chapter 50 (laughs) would one of you be able to summarize that
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a longer summary than Jill (laughs) yeah so so Joseph uh, Jacob has just died and Joseph weeps and then there's this big kind of burial treatment of jacob isn't there and then he's taken back to canaan he's given huge honor as as he's buried in kind of an egyptian uh israelite fashion kind of almost fashioned together these two ways of burying him and then joseph heads back to egypt with his brothers and there's this moment of insecurity with the brothers and then towards the end joseph dies the end (laughs) At the end, actually, <laughs> thanks, Joseph dies. Mary, <laughs> thanks, Mary. I'm sure you could have said that in half uh, the words, Mary. Yeah, I could have, What could I have said, Jill? Okay, they bury Jacob, and then Joseph dies.
1: <laughs>
0: Boom! Less is more, my friend.
1: Yeah, what do you what do you guys think about the the bury? Well, the whole process of um burying, mourning, grieving over Jacob.
0: I guess one of the things that struck me was it wasn't just the family that grieved for him. It says, doesn't it, in verse three, and the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. And so I I guess that just reinforced to me the thing we looked at last week, that there'd been a real change in him over the time that he was in um, Egypt. And actually he'd really endeared himself Um, to the Egyptians around him because at first I was like oh is that just because it was Joseph's dad and so it was just a way of honoring Joseph but yeah I think actually there's a genuine sense in which he'd his change and his desire to bless those around him meant that there was a genuine sadness in Egypt because this old man had died.
2: And it also speaks doesn't it of how Honored Joseph is in Egypt, that you know, his dad gets this huge uh, ceremony. I mean, what do they do? They embalm him for 40 days. Like, honestly, what do you do for 40 days? I guess I need to look more into Egyptian embalming. Um, and then they mourn for 70 days. Then they take him to Canaan and they do some other stuff. And then they mourn again, like Joseph mourns for seven days. Like, it's such a long time, isn't it? And you just kind of think they must have, yeah, really honoured Jacob and Joseph. Uh, I was like, wow, Joseph gets a lot of time off work as well.
1: <laughs> and, they, and, they even, and they even name a place after um, the, mm. because of the mourning of the Egyptians, they, they name a, an actual place called the mourning of the Egyptians because of yeah. um, how, how extensive it was. I guess. Yeah. Mm. I think, I think though we can, we can, we struggle with that,
0: don't we? Because our culture is so fast. Okay. If we have to wait more than two weeks for the funeral, we're upset about that. We want to move on. And I just think actually there is something healthy, isn't there about um taking your time to grieve and um allowing your tears to flow for that amount of time, because that that both honors the person who's died, but also gives you time to process what's happened. And I, I think we're, we have the
2: opposite problem in our culture, don't we? Hmm. Well, bear that in mind, Jill, when it comes to your turn, I'll get the chariots out. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah,
1: thank you very much, Mary. Have a parade. <laughs> I don't know if you ladies looked at comparing um, what's said here about Jacob's um, death compared to Abraham and Isaac. Um, here it's so much more significant, it's significantly more prominent and I was reading how there's kind of a sense of they're heading back to Canaan and not only are they mourning the death of um, Jacob, but they're also mourning because there's a sense in which they long to return to God's promised land and, and it's really interesting because, you know, one day they will leave Egypt but here they're leaving Egypt in, a, uh, and so many, like the elders of the household, elders of the land of Egypt, as well as his household and brothers. It's almost like a pre-Exodus of them leaving Egypt to go back to Canaan. But here they're given the blessing of Pharaoh. And as we know, you know, the subsequent Pharaohs aren't so generous to let them leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's good. It is a little picture, isn't it, of a, yeah, a happy, peaceful exit from Egypt compared to the Exodus. That's good, Juliet.
1: Hmm. How how then do the brothers respond when they're back in Egypt and they have to face up to their past again?
0: They just have no. They've no assurance, have they, that their forgiveness from Joseph is real, and so. Yeah, it's almost like they revert back. They send a little dodgy message by a different messenger and then eventually they face up to him themselves. Um, Yeah, I guess that was the main thing that struck me. They've got
2: no assurance in their forgiveness. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, Joseph in his reply is so full of grace and uh, kind of an understanding and a knowledge of God as well. Um, when he says, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? I was wondering why he asked that, am I in the place of God? I wondered if he felt like they thought he was going to judge them or something like that. And he's saying, it's it's, it's not me who was in control of this situation. Like, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Like, he's still sees doesn't he God's good behind the bitter providence in his life he's so full of grace and God's love Um, and yeah I, I see myself in the brothers in their insecurity like sometimes you know you just kind of I guess maybe when you focus on yourself a bit much I don't know but you just kind of start thinking really really like you can forgive me I'm so bad I've done this I've done that and we kind of I don't know if you do this, but I, I get a bit insecure about my salvation sometimes. And yet I think God responds in the same way as Joseph. Like, I, I love you. It's all forgiven. Yeah.
0: And I found it really encouraging and helpful, on, like applying it to me, Mary, where, you know, at the end of that little section, <clears throat> Joseph has assured them. And then, he, and then he says as well, doesn't he, promises again that he'll provide for them. And it's like mm. his words and then his actions. And he, he said that I will provide for you back in chapter 45. It's exactly the same phrase, but I love that. And that's how God deals with us, doesn't he? He sort of says, he tells us he loves us. And then he says, look at the cross, I've, I've done it. I've provided for you mm. and I've shown my love. And yeah, on those days where I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Like God, how's God gonna forgive that? I just, yeah, he wants us to look, doesn't He? How he's provided and made, made it right for us at the cross.
2: Mm. and he like Joseph does at the very end of verse 21 uh, he reassured them and spoke kindly to them Like he doesn't even do it in a sense of like it's okay guys we were, we've been through this like I forgive you just get on with your lives you know he speaks kindly to them he loves them and he's kind and yeah I think sometimes I don't dwell as much as I could on the kindness of God in his dealings with me I think I see too much you know, rightly, I see that he is judge and that he's good and stuff. But I think I forget too quickly how kind he is in his dealings, I and mean, it's good to be reminded. The other thing that I was really struck
0: by, which Mary mentioned, but
2: has been helpful in my for my heart
0: this week, you know, where he says, "Am I in the place of God?" And I I just, it was helpful for me looking back at all the times when Joseph must have been tempted to want to put himself in the place of God when he'd been wrongly accused by the brothers at the beginning, then wrongly accused by Potiphar. But his heart has learned, hasn't he, that God will deal with those things. And that actually those are things that are too big for him. You know, like that Psalm that says, "I've, I've learned to settle my heart before you, Lord, and not consider matters too big for me. And I just think Joseph's really learned that, hasn't he, over the course of years. And I think for me at this point, the temptation would have been to be like, yeah, you did. And that was horrible. And almost to replay people's sins against us. But he's just learned, hasn't he, that he just entrusts that into the hands of God. And that's the place of rest, basically, and not um, the place of vengeance. So yeah, I found that super helpful, that little passing comment he made.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
2: There's a sense, isn't there, when Jacob dies, um, it's almost like this new revealing of fear for the brothers, because this thing has happened, which has made them feel vulnerable again. And I just wonder whether there are points in our lives where we suddenly realise that we've not dealt with this thing with God. And that, and that for some reason, that's stopping us from drawing so near to him or really kind of being vulnerable before him. And I just yeah I just feel challenged to to we we need to be raw with God like this don't we like beg you know beg for his forgiveness and see the sin that we still kind of shush away to the corners um, and hope that you know they'll just go away
1: and just bring bring it again and again before him yeah I think it's really easy isn't it to also live like we are in the place of God like it's one of the I found it interesting how You know, uh, the start of Genesis, that's what Adam and Eve struggle with, because they're almost wanting to be in the place of God by taking the fruit. And here, um, I guess Joseph has the power and he could act in judgment, but instead he, yeah, he hands this over to God. And yeah, I was just challenged by, you know, when I'm struggling, I tend to want to be in the place of God and control as much as I can, <laughs> but actually, you know what what is helpful is to be reminded that actually God is in His place, and we should rightly keep Him in His place, and yeah, just keep that perspective of who God is and who we are before Him. Looking at the next section, as uh, Joseph is preparing to die, and um, he mentions twice that God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And then he says again in verse 25, God will surely visit you. What do you think that means? It's interesting because
2: in the NIV, which is what I've got in front of me, it says in verse 24, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land um and again in 25 god will surely come to your aid i think joseph i guess from experience in his life like he knows that there's somehow knows there's going to be this period of i don't know if he's saying here that there will be suffering but i guess he knows from what god promised to abraham that there will be this long period in egypt and he's promising here to His brothers, but I guess also to the future generations who are going to come from the brothers, that God will not forget them. He will come to their aid. He's not going to leave them in Egypt. Um, He will take them up, as it says in verse 24, and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath. So I guess, you know, it's this beautiful ending to Joseph's life because, you know, we know, don't we, from reading his story through his life and seeing his hardships and seeing his character being shaped and uh, we know that he has seen firsthand that god will come to your aid like god came to his aid and god will come to israel's aid when they need him he can testify to that himself can't he and he's he's kind of channeling that promise uh, to his brothers and to the future generations.
0: Yeah, I I kind of read this and I just think it's so sobering for us, isn't it? Knowing that they're just about to head into 200 years of really brutal slavery. And that that's it feels so hard, doesn't it? Such a hard providence. And yet, I guess, like Mary said, those little what we've seen in Joseph's life is going to be true, isn't it? For people living through that hardness and that brutal regime of a new pharaoh that um god can still work in those times for good and i guess they've got these promises haven't they that yeah have come to abraham and now come to joseph through joseph that god will deliver them but um yeah it's a hard um the gap between um genesis and exodus is a hard 200 years isn't it
2: and that's our job isn't it really as we you know even now but also as we draw to the end of our lives is to look back and see how God has come to our aid and then use that to encourage others and pass down those promises like yeah it's not always going to be easy there will be suffering in your life but look at what God's done in my life look at what he's doing in my life through suffering he will do that for you
1: like He has done it for thousands of years and he will continue to do that. I think uh, David does that in the Psalms, isn't he? Because often he also speaks about his current sufferings. And then he looks back and speaks of their almighty God that has brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And he, yes, and that gives him um, a refocusing and a, um, a reminder that just as God was faithful, There's a song, isn't there? You know, God was faithful to (laughs) David, to Daniel. We need Helen
2: at this point to (laughs) sing it to us.
0: (laughs) Do you mean the kids one, Juliet? Like Noah built the most enormous boat, that one? Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. And yeah, just as he was faithful to to Noah, to David, to Daniel, and he's faithful in giving us Jesus, he will be faithful to lead us to, I guess, our promised land just at the end of genesis they're away from the promised land and they're waiting for god to visit them and take them back to the promised land and actually we can see further in scripture as well in deuteronomy and chronicles they're also outside of the land waiting for god to fulfill the promises and in some ways we're in that position as well in in Revelation twenty two verse twenty, it's written, "Surely I am coming soon." So, we are also waiting for the return of um, Jesus, our King. How do you think, yeah, what we've read in Genesis can help us with that, in that waiting, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess it's holding on to that promise, isn't it? In in the hard waiting and in the hard circumstances of the waiting. And one of the, a quote from Tim Keller that I read ages ago in a book on suffering was all about how, and I find this so helpful, actually on that final day when we reach heaven, all we'll see of this life is the good things God did and the way he changed us through the hard circumstances. You know, we won't see the hard circumstances anymore, we'll see the the beauty that was formed through those trials and that's really helpful to me to just think actually God is doing good isn't it in our spirits and in our souls and conforming us into the image of Jesus and you know that that helps us keep going doesn't it on the hard days because actually on that final day we will be perfect and we will be with him and we'll be like him and that's a beautiful promise isn't it to keep us going
1: in the waiting Mm. What are you guys reading for Advent? Have you got any book recommendations?
0: (laughs) I've just started one that's on um, 10 of those as an e-book called, uh, is it Hope Beneath Bethlehem Skies? So it's based on the book of Ruth and looking at how the story of Ruth, like is mirrored into the story of Jesus. So day one today, L.E.T. has been rounding up the troops at um, St. Clement's.
2: Wow that sounds good. We just ordered actually and a friend is bringing it for us on Friday uh, a book by Anne Voskamp called The Greatest Gift. Yeah really looking forward to reading it. We are going to have to start a few days late because living in another country
1: it was quite hard to get hold of. What What about about you Julia? Julia? Um, We're doing the Jesus Storybook one. I think there's free resources Uh, online if anyone
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's great too
2: yeah Mm. it's such a I find the Christmas season so overwhelming when, when I'm in the UK it's actually really refreshing living in a culture where they don't really celebrate it at all it really strips it down like you know we we don't go into the shops here and see tons of Christmas stuff and Christmas music and fake snow Uh, nothing changes can I just say real
0: snow this weekend there was no need for fake snow it was was (laughs) a lot of snow in open snow this
2: weekend (laughs) and so I just find that kind of stripping away of you know all the kind of fluffy bits of Christmas I do find it helpful thinking okay how can we really focus on what it really is
1: yeah, definitely. I think it's quite a special time for the family as well, because I guess similar to Joseph and his family wanting to stay separate from the Egyptians when they were in Egypt, like it's helpful for us to be reminded that actually the God we worship is so different from the God's people worship around us. And it's helpful as a family to refocus on, yeah, just the the waiting for his return and uh, the waiting for that joyful time when all nations will be worshipping before him.
2: Yeah. I love that that's mentioned in the promise to Judah in verse 10 of chapter 49 uh, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Mm. And that's, that's Jesus, isn't it? I just love that promise that this one is coming who will unite everybody um, and he's our promised king in, a, in an age where this world just feels so hopeless at times and so divided and we get to see this glimpse here and now in as we celebrate advent and christmas we get to see this glimpse of this time when everything will be united and good and happy and full of you know lovely food and
1: deliverance
2: yeah just kind of the echoes of these promises to Jacob's sons is what we
1: get to look forward to in Advent yeah well thank you for joining us today um and yeah I hope you have a special Advent and Christmas bye from us Bye. bye